Welcome to the final episode of Business Reporter's podcast series on the future of customer relationship management in partnership with IntraHive. I'm Georgie Frost, and today we'll discover more about the IntraHive journey and what advice its co-founder has for anyone thinking of setting up a business in these uncertain economic times. Well, joining me one last time, sadly, is Jodie Glidden, CEO and co-founder from IntraHive. Welcome back, Jodie. Jodie, can you recall the moment when the idea for IntraHive came to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was really a moment. I think there's very few startups that really end up the way they they begin. <laughs> you know, often we we start with a certain idea in mind and then things just continually evolve and evolve and, and then it ends up where it ends up. But, you know, I, really what happened was I had been working in my career for about 20 years doing various startups selling technology to the medium and large enterprise. It's usually bigger companies most of the time. And then the last one, starting in 2005, we were focused completely on the sales department of um, midsize and large enterprises. During the course of that, I just encountered so many problems that big companies have and, and, mid, and opportunities that you know, midsize companies could take advantage of, especially in the sales departments. I just, I couldn't believe really how much manual work was going on. It, people were, were spending about 20% of their day just entering contacts into a system. So they'd take, they'd collect business cards from people in meetings. They'd like type in a bunch of information in the CRM. That's if you were lucky, they were spending 20% of their day. Cause often people just threw those in the garbage and they said, well, it's not worth it. <laughs> and then they, in addition to that, they'd have to log the fact that they had every meeting, every email interaction that they had, they had to do that. If they, you know, interacted with people on any kind of chat or things like that, like live person, they were supposed to log all of those. And uh, and then after the meeting took place, they were supposed to take all their notes and enter those in the system and so on and so on. It was just like really an enormous amount of work that I didn't realize was happening. And then in addition to that, people were often being told that they had to make 80 calls a day. So how do you possibly do all that? Log all 80 of those along with all the people involved. Um, it's just impossible. So why then specifically you're seeing, you're seeing these big companies and all these problems. Why did you hone in? on this area, this field in particular? Well, the first thing that I, I thought was uh, being able to unlock the relationships that an enterprise has. That was actually my first idea because I, I had been working at um, BlackBerry. I logged into the CRM and, and, and I realized that there were a ton of contacts that were just um, you know, unavailable. And then I kind of started researching the problem and realized you know, that this is kind of a standard problem that a lot of companies have is just obviously you're not going to get every person to log everything. It's, it's impossible. And I thought just, you know, kind of dawned on my, me through the years, like if you could only see all of the comings and goings of emails and the phone calls, and if you could figure out who's interacting with who and who's meeting with who face to face, like if there was a system that could unlock all that, you could build a much better version of, of, of LinkedIn. It would tell you not only everybody that people know, but actually how well they know them because it could measure you know, frequency of communication and recency of communication and all these sorts of things. So I thought that was a, the big idea. And then when I, when I started that company to go ahead and do that at the beginning, it just sort of continued to evolve. So at first I thought about, you know, having people, you know, type all this stuff in, and then I realized it could actually log it automatically. Um, then, then we get into, you know, all the other things that we could do. Once we had this amazing data store, we could actually fix the CRM problem for all enterprises. Um, we, we realized that we could, uh, since we know when all the meetings are taking place and who's speaking to who, 
we could actually bring them all the intel that you know they typically would go and uh, look in the CRM for all this information. They'd go research people on on Google. They'd research the company on Google, and so on and so on. We could just bring it all to them. So we just continued to to pick off different use cases that were accelerating people's sales. So give me exactly where we are with Interhive now, from where you first came from, that sort of nugget of idea, and I guess frustration at these companies and how they were doing things, to how you would implement your system, your processes at a company. What does it look like now? Yeah, I mean, it really was a long road because I I expected that, you know, within the first year or so, we'd sign our first customers and turned out it, it took about three years. Um, it was a really, really difficult thing to build a system that would do all this and actually have it be accurate. And the problem with, you know, let's say most systems out there are about 35% accurate that have this kind of data. If you're automating data into a CRM or automating, you know, meeting briefs to people that are wrong 35% of the time, you're kind of in trouble. So, you know, it took us a lot of years to crack that problem to the to the degree that we needed to. Once we started that, it's been kind of a rocket ship ever since. We've we've been on Deloitte's fastest growing companies list uh, multiple times now. Um, we've we've got you know hundreds of customers. We have the largest installation of our kind in the world. Uh, there's a single customer that we have that's over a hundred thousand users. Um, so it's it's really just taken off. So tell me, I'm a I'm a business owner, and I come to you, and I want to implement this system. Tell me how it will make my life de- different. First of all, you'll be able to automate all of the information into the CRM. So you'll finally have good visibility on, on your, your, you know, how your company is doing. And you'll finally be able to get great insights on what improvements uh, you can suggest that will help the sales team sell more. So you know, we find that most of our customers just actually sell an awful lot more per person. An awful lot more of their people are actually hitting quota once they've uh, installed our software. And, and they're using it and, and people have enough, the salespeople are actually a lot happier because they no longer have to, you know, enter all this data in the system. They can actually spend time doing what they want to do. And also they're happy to, you know, bring home a bigger paycheck. Yeah, of course. How disruptive is that though, to implement these systems and also concerns about sort of data and privacy and all of that? The first way that we did it, which was back in 2011 or 2012, it was kind of a heavy lift. You know, you, you would have to install this mobile app on your phone and, now it's it's nothing like that. Now uh, there's an install that happens at the server, and then they they just upload the user list of the people who want to uh, activate on it, and then everything just happens automatically. All the automation of of syncing just happens. Uh, automation of of meeting briefs or information when people are about to send an email, it all just happens automatically. Now the tips that happen via AI, they they just receive all that without having to actually do anything. Tell me about the relationship with your co-founder and how that worked. Yeah, so there's a co-founder, uh, Stuart Walkley. So he worked with me at the previous company um, that I was with, which was uh, Chalk Media acquired by BlackBerry. And so we worked together for quite a few years. Then um, when I left to, to start Interhive, I called on him uh, once I realized that the idea wasn't kind of half-baked and <laughs> it maybe had some legs. And and he came over and joined me here and he's he's been ever, here ever since. Who are you role models so it's the typical question you ask isn't it entrepreneurs yeah. and all that but I, I i would like to know your, your business inspirations obviously there's the obvious ones like steve jobs and things like that where he really focused on the product and let the product kind of do the talking i think that's 
that's been, I've read a ton of books, you know, about him, uh, biographies and things like that. But I think, you know, I wouldn't have gotten into business if it wasn't for, um, for my parents both having their own business. I think probably my mom uh, going back to school when she was 50 some years old and, you know, graduating top of her class among a bunch of 20 year olds, that was, that made an impression on me just in terms of, of drive throughout your life. Um, and, and her, her drive to be continuously learning, like she always had a book in her hand. And that was something I think that, that made an impression on me too, is like, not just for me to continually be reading and trying to learn whatever the next new thing is that I can improve myself with, but, but also to try to uh, encourage that among the people who work with me. We have, I think, some of the smartest employees that you're going to find in any company because we, we screen for that. And then also we encourage people to continuously learn. It's not you get your degree and then you come and you're done. Uh, you know, if you're going to work at Interhive, you're probably going to be continuously learning. You can read a lot of things and learn a lot of things. But in terms of dealing with setbacks and challenges, you can learn to do, but to do it very well would be something that you're naturally good at. No? Yeah. I mean, we, we probably should have gave up in around 2013 because, you know, when we were two years in with no sales, uh, all evidence would point to the fact that you probably should give up. But um, we, you know, begged, borrowed and did everything we could do to, to make it through that, Why were you that so tough time. You know, I remember talking to our first investor and he said, have people pitching me all the time. And, you know, what do you think is the reason that I, I should think that you're going to succeed? And I said, I said, well, I mean, if I were you, I, I just wouldn't bet against me. <laughs> and and, and I, I meant it seriously, because I just, I had this kind of like confidence that I was just, I was going to make it happen, or I felt like I was going to make it happen one way or another. I, and I think that that confidence helped a ton. It's actually necessary because how do you raise money when you don't feel supremely confident that you're going to absolutely make it. And how do you get that first giant customer to sign on with you when you also don't feel like you're doing them a huge favor because you've got this amazing thing and they just don't see it yet, you know? Yeah. And, and that first employee, I remember we had a really uh, good employee like that we wanted to try to bring over. And he, he had a fantastic job, obviously, because a lot of great people do. And, and it took me forever to convince him that he was crazy working at this company he was at. He should come work at this like brand new company that like, really, why did he ever quit his job and come? But he's very happy he did now. <laughs> you know, you, you have to convince people of like really, really crazy things when you're getting started and you need that confidence. I suppose if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. You mentioned staff a lot. How important is it, is it to find and get the right people around you? I think it's supremely important. Like hiring somebody who isn't great can bring you down more than not hiring that person at all, because it, it kind of sets the the bar of, of what's like, what's expected. And when you hire a really great person, it, it attracts other great people. They just think, Oh, this is where the, this is where the smart people go, or this is where the hardworking people go. This is where the people go that are going to succeed. And it kind of like creates this vortex, you know? So I, I think that's really, really important. I've read a, there's a really great book I read one time um, called Work Rules. And it's kind of the way that the people from Google went about building their um, culture and, and doing their, their recruiting and, and their screening and all of that. And I, I think that was, that's a book that made a lot of impression on me as well. 
What have you taken from that? How do you get the right people? How do you keep the right people? How do you weed out the wrong people for want of a better word, better phrase? Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing this one time where they said, you know, if, if people are in the wrong seat, put them in the right seat. If people are on the wrong bus, you got to get them off the bus, you know? Um, so, you know, you'll find that from time to time, people are on the wrong bus and they'll be happier if they're somewhere else. Uh, nobody wants to be working in a company where they feel like they don't really believe in, in the way you're trying to, to, you know, drive things or whatever. And in, the, in that case, they're better to be at the company that fits them better. So I think one of the things that work rules talks a lot about is just being uh, very specific about what you're looking for, especially when you get to the stage like we are, where we have full-time recruiters and you're trying to continue to instill those same values. We, we try to get very specific on what we're looking for. You know, we want people with drive. We want people um, who, who want to do, do continuous learning and, um, and we want the best, you know, and, and we'll wait to get them. And then we, if we put in processes to screen for it and, uh, and then we put in processes to, to watch, you know, how it develops after people join as well. So I think those, those are all really key things. And, you know, at the start of the year, we set these six main objectives and, you know, one of the one of the six is exactly about that. It's about how we keep our people, um, how we choose our people, and how we get people on the, you know, off the bus if they're on the wrong, wrong bus. That's, that's all really really important. We've spoken a lot about starting up Intrahive and the journey that you've been on. Let's take a look a little bit more at the industry and I guess the future. We have touched throughout the series on coronavirus. How could we not? What impact do you think it will have on the the world economy and therefore this industry specifically? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the pandemic has caused a ton of people to change how they do their hiring. Uh, it's caused people to change how they do their selling. Um, it's caused a lot more people to, um, people now can work anywhere, you know, and, and people now can, can buy and sell anywhere. So you kind of have to think differently when it comes to all of those things. When we do our recruiting now, we have a much more broad lens on, on uh, that. We actually use our own software because we can, we can look and see who the 350 people that we have might happen to know um, that would be a good fit for roles. When we're selling, we do the exact same thing. We can, we can tell you know, what, um, who are customers that, that might be in a good position to buy more, achieve you know, new benefits from you know, adopting in some other region or places like that. So I think the pandemic has kind of caused people to think a little bit less locally, a little bit more globally. So there are opportunities, but how, when you are in the middle of such a disruptive event, and it is still very disruptive, do you spot opportunities? And I don't just mean coronavirus. There are loads of unpredictable events that we spoke in the last episode that, that happen all the time. Um, so how do you spot opportunity? How do you be creative when other people are just firefighting? Yeah, I mean, all of the best companies in the world or almost all of the best companies in the world were started in the middle of, of a crash. Companies like Salesforce that were started, uh, you know, in the dot-com crash and so on. Every time there's a major crash, it causes people to do things very differently. There's a whole lot of change that all happens at once. Like, you know, what we saw with, with Zoom, for example. Um, and, then, and then the people who notice that change first and, th- and try to think of, of opportunities specifically because of that change um, are, the, are gonna be the ones that, that can benefit from it first. So, 
you know, we saw that with the advent of AI. We saw it with, you know, the, the pandemic. We saw that when people needed to put stricter controls on financial uh, during the 2008 crisis. So I think every time there is one of these massive changes, you know, whether it's, you know, bad like the pandemic or, or something else, uh, like the advent of AI, I think it's it's really important to notice those big changes and then just really spend time thinking about what can make a difference. When you find one of these things and you know that you're onto something, you really have to double down. You have to put everything you have into it because you can be sure that someone on the other side of the world is doing the exact same thing, thinking the exact same thought right now, and you just don't know it. <laughs> so what advice then would you give to anyone who's starting out at the moment? Uh, I think it's it's really important to make sure that whatever you're whatever you're starting has a big enough impact. You know, in in investor terms, they would say big enough. Tam total addressable market. So, is it something that a whole lot of people in the world will want and that is going to be very valuable to them? And then the third thing is that it's something that you think that is difficult for other people to do. If you if you're picking something easy, then you're going to have a ton of competitors. So the ironic thing is you really have to fix something hard <laughs> and the harder it is, the fewer competitors you're going to have. It, and it's going to be very difficult. I think, you know, I'd mentioned that in the first few years of Interhive, we made virtually no sales. And then all of a sudden everything just completely took off. It's because what we were doing was really, really hard. Um, but the advantage to that is that we have almost nobody that can come behind us and do the same thing. That's starting out, but how do you stay ahead of the curve? I mean, staying ahead is really, I think, mostly about the people. So, so then it turns to, you know, who do you have around you that can help continue to drive this? Because as you, as you get bigger, it becomes harder and harder to maintain the same drive and quality and, and everything else. It's, it's a really, I think my job is so completely different every year than it was the year before, because we're in a completely different size of company and we have completely different problems you know, at first, I remember two two, three years ago, the big problem was how are we possibly going to hire fast enough? So then we, you know, we had to think about how do we build an internal recruiting team and, and make that work at the same quality that we used to. And then it became, okay, well, you've hired a whole lot of people. How do you make sure that they are actually effective soon enough and that they're trained properly and that it's the same as it used to be in the old days. And then we had to work on training departments and, you know, enablement and all these sorts of things. So every year the job just continually changes. So I think you just have to be focused on, on continually learning, um, you know, always figure out what that next thing is that you could read that would make you better. When expert intra hype. We're really trying to take this company public. We want to continue to, to build this into a massive category. It seems like everybody's kind of woken up to the, the fact that there's probably going to be two systems that the sales department will adopt. One is the CRM where everybody puts all of the stuff. And then the other is going to be a sales performance system of some kind, revenue acceleration. There's a lot of names for it, but basically the system that helps you sell more. And, you know, that's the category that we've inadvertently created. And uh, it seems like an awful lot of people are, are getting excited about this. So I, I'm, I'm just really happy every day when we wake up, just thinking of the new ways that we can improve things. Well, I wish you well, and I look forward to seeing where it goes. Jody Glidden, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast series and you want to find out more about IntraHive and the work that you do, Jody? Yeah, you can reach out to us. You'll find us at www.introhive.com, I-N-T-R-O-H-I-V-E.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Jody Glidden, J-O-D-Y-G-L-I-D-D-E-N. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.